coming up next on the Wet Fly Swing podcast. That was amazing. I mean, it was it was like almost life changing. I, I know that sounds precious to say, but I said I told a lot of people that was the hardest thing I've ever written, just by sheer nature of uh, how much work it took one to catch fish and and two just just that place and kind of how controversial it has become. I guess I'll say that was Joseph Jackson taking us into the Yakutat. Rainbows, Pike, Grayling, and Steelhead heading back into Alaska today on The Swing. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how you doing today? Thank you for stopping by the show. We've got a big week next week as we are heading into the Euro-Nymphing School giveaway. Mark your calendars. We've got a big event next week, a chance to win a trip, a bunch of products, big pack for this big trip including a killer Euronymphing rod um, all good to go check it out next week today's episode is sponsored by eastern idaho's yellowstone teton territory idaho's most renowned zone for fly fishing from the henry's fork to the south fork of the snake and all the high alpine lakes and streams in between yellowstone teton territory provides anglers and other outdoor enthusiasts with all the information they need to plan their next big trip. You can visit wetflyswing.com slash Teton right now to get the full list of outfitters, lodges, fly shops, and all kinds of inspiration to get you started on your next trip to Eastern Idaho. That's Teton, T-E-T-O-N, wetflyswing.com slash Teton. Today's episode is sponsored by Chota Outdoor, legendary comfort and equipment you can trust. Chota insists on the finest materials and craftsmanship you can assure you have the highest standards of quality. You'll feel in control of the elements in your Chota gear. Every product is solidly backed with a no-nonsense warranty against defects. Head over to wetflyswing.com Chota right now. That's Chota, C-H-O-T-A, to support this podcast and the Chota Outdoor family right now. Joe Jackson is on the podcast to take us into the last frontier and focus on Alaska by car. We hear about some of the less-known places you can add to your itinerary if you're heading up to the 49th state. We dig into the species list and best times and places to hit while on your road trip, and we find out uh, how he's going to accomplish his goal as a professional writer. He's got some good stuff going here, a book we talk about today, and and a bunch of tips on uh, hitting Alaska if you're heading up by car. All right, let's jump into the Parks Highway and dig back into the road system. That is Alaska. Here we go. Joe Jackson from josephjacksonwriter.com. How's it going, Joe? Doing well, Dave. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming here. We just wanted to clarify we've had another Joe Jackson on the podcast in the past. Uh, you're the second here. We we talked poppers with Sergeant Bass Fisher. So just for clarification, you don't tie poppers, right? Or, or do you? I occasionally will, but mine are nowhere near as uh, good as the other Mr. Jacksons. Yeah, right, right. No, it's it's pretty funny because it's, I mean, I have a common name as well. So there's a bazillion, you know what I mean, Dave Stewart's out there as well. So it's <laughs> it's good. Do you know, I mean, like where you're coming from? You're Well, remind me again before we jump into this, where are you at now and, uh, and you know, where have you been living, you know, the last few years? Yeah, of course. So uh, I grew up in southeastern Wyoming um, and then... I came up to Fairbanks, Alaska for college and then spent a few years up there. And then I just, my wife and I just recently moved down here to Anchorage, Alaska. So that's where I'm at currently. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, 
you're out there and and one another one of those stories you hear people that kind of head up to Alaska and they just stick around and and uh, don't ever come back down to the lower 48 what, what what's kept you there what was the biggest thing that's kept you there yeah that's a that's a great question and it's funny because my my wife most of her family is from uh, Minnesota um, I mean she she came to Alaska when she was six months old her her parents fell in love with it so this is all she really knows but she definitely has more of her family base down there um, and then of course mine is is Wyoming Colorado so it's almost like we've We've always been looking for a reason to go back down there, you know, um, to be closer to family. But for whatever reason, we just can't uh, can't leave Alaska. I think it's I don't know. A lot of it's the freedom of being up here because, you know, we'll take visits down to back back home, I guess, Wyoming, Minnesota, that sort of thing. Um, and it's like you can't just it's some places you can, but you can't just go hike in the mountains to your heart's content. You can't just follow streams to your heart's content, you know, whereas in Alaska, I feel like it's a lot, it feels a lot more free to us, I guess. So that, that has kept us here. That's a great point. Yeah. I was just listening, uh, or, uh, John Garrock, we got him coming back on the podcast in a, in a few, well, I guess it's probably in a couple months, but you know, he was talking on another thing he did about, um, you know, private property, right. And stuff like that. Yeah. And especially yep. up in Colorado, you know, you, you definitely, or anywhere in the lower 48, I mean, there's private property, but in Alaska, do you feel like, I mean, I guess, yeah, I guess it's, there's not a lot of private property. It's kind of all mostly public lands. Is that how it looks out there? It is. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting. Cause I mean, for one thing we have the, the navigable stream law. So if you, if you get in the water and as long as you're below the high water mark, you can basically hike up and down river as far as you want to. Um, and then as far as, you know, actual land goes, yeah, it's huge swaths of, of state land or, um, borough land. They're, they're called boroughs up here. They're not counties. Um, what can make that tricky though, is if, a is if a place is not part of a borough, then their private land listings aren't posted. Um, so it could be private land and you would have no idea. So you just have to be a little, uh, more cognizant of that, I guess. Uh, but yeah, for the most part, big giant swaths of state land where you could just hike for days if you want to, um, and don't have to worry about, you know, stepping on anyone's toes in that regard. So. That's it. So that's what it is, the freedom. And then, and what it would it take? I mean, you've been up there a while, but if somebody was thinking about, you know, tip uh, tapping their foot in the water to see what Alaska would be like, you know, living up there, is that pretty easy? Like, if somebody wanted to move up there for a year or two and see what that's like, what would you recommend there? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, um, Fairbanks, Anchorage, kind of the population hubs. That's uh, where I ended up, you know, and yeah. Um, I found that for the most part, of course, there are exceptions, but for the most part, um, outdoorsmen up here, you know, anglers, they're, they're fairly welcoming of, of newcomers. Like they're always happy to, mm. um, you know, get you started. They may not share like their, their sure. honey holes right off the bat. Um, but they're always happy to, you know, show you the ropes and, and get you going. So, yeah. um, yeah. And of course, like documentation of, of the good streams up here is um is pretty easy to find i mean there are several books on the subject um just googling around and then uh like i said yeah people are pretty welcoming for the most part yeah pretty easy to get going yeah and uh and how long have you been up there now uh eight years i came yeah, up in uh, 2014 yeah 2014 so what have you seen have you you know over the last eight years have you seen a lot of changes i mean you hear about changes in like declines and chinook numbers but just yeah, in yeah. general in alaska have you seen in eight years a lot of changes i would say so i mean 
I may not be the best person to ask on that, Dave, just because like my goal when I'm fishing is to get away from people. So I'm getting up at like one or 2 AM in, in the summertime and in the fall, just to, to get to the stream first and hike as far as I can. So I don't have the best gauge on, you know, if numbers of, of other anglers have, have increased. Um, but yeah, certainly things like, uh, evidence of, of fishing, you know, a lot of the streams that I fish that I feel like used to be pristine, you know, you'll unfortunately come across more instances of, of litter. You'll find trout with, you know, broken jaws or scarred up mouths just from, um, you know, barbed hooks or whatever the case is, maybe bad hookup. See more evidence of that. And then, uh, like you mentioned, the, the declining Chinook runs are, are a bummer. Um, but I'm kind of new to, to that whole game. So I've seen changes like the last three, four years, but in terms of the whole eight years that I've been here, um, it really started. Yeah. Four years ago. Four years ago. Okay, cool. Well, today I want to dig into, you've got some books out there and you're, you know, you're a writer. So you've done a lot of writing on Alaska and you've got an article in fly fisherman magazine. I I want to dig into the road system. You know, we talked about this on a recent episode, um, with Will uh, a little bit, we focus more on the area around Anchorage and kind of up to, um, you know, the Susitna sort of thing, but maybe sure. you could break down, you know, just the road. Cause when I think of Alaska road system, I think, you know, I've driven up the Alaska highway and, you know, you can drive all the way up there and you hit Anchorage and then you can head up to Fairbanks and probably go further North. But I mean, is that, is that the road? Is it pretty much that the one or what would you, when somebody asks like, okay, I'm doing a trip to Alaska on the road system. I, I've got, you know, whatever, maybe a summer even to just travel you know, what do you tell somebody? Do you have a good um, step by step, or is it, is there a lot to know to learn on it? Um, I wouldn't say there's a lot to know. Uh, I guess figure out what species you want to prioritize would be a good one because you know certain certain species are available in in different places. Um, I guess the uh, the helpful side of me would would say you know Parks Highway is a, a great place to start, and that's the that's the road you mentioned, like Anchorage yeah. to to Fairbanks probably the most popular road in the state just because it's you know connecting those two population hubs and also it goes through denali national park so well traveled um well documented and it just so happens to intersect you know a dozen or more really good trout streams like world-class trout fishing based on uh, what i've experienced so i'd say that's a good starting point um you know if you fly into anchorage as most people do rent a car um that's the other nice thing about the parks. It's uh, you could take a rental car on it. Some some roads up here, rental cars prohibit you from from mm. driving them on. Um, right. So Parks Highway is a, a great place to start. Uh, the the more honest side of me would say uh, go to the interior. Um, I know a lot of anglers have like Arctic grayling on their bucket list, and that's kind of mm-hmm. one of my one of my favorite species. Um, you're not going to catch a, a, a two or three foot long trout in the interior. So, and what is the interior? What, what does the interior include? Yeah. What, what area is that? Good question. So that's uh, anything north of the Alaska range. So the range that Denali is a part of, and then basically anything south of the Brooks range. So like the Fairbanks area, uh, the Yukon and Tanana River, those watersheds. That's that's Alaska's interior. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, if you're if you're looking for the the giant trout, um, that's not where you're going to want to go. But if you're looking mm-hmm. for more of the the secluded small stream experience with the opportunity to catch world class grayling, um, that'd be the place to go. And and I always yeah, I've always thought of that that region as kind of like the the purest 
fly fisherman's place um, because mm-hmm. it's it's like all dry fly fishing. I mean, you can you can fish nymphs and and actually it's super fun to to fish grayling on on the swing. Um, I've discovered, but uh, yeah, dry flies are the name of the game up there, and it's yeah. it's pretty fun when you have fish that are that are willing to party on the surface, you know, and you can just go up or down as far as you want. So. Right. How do you think it compares to, you know, we've done some trips out there to remote Alaska. You know, a lot of people know Alaska, you know, fly out. It's like everybody's got an airplane, right, to get out there. But how do you think the, you know, um, compares like this road system fishing, all this stuff versus, say, flying out to remote part of over there on out of Bethel on the, you know what I mean, like Connect Talk or anywhere in Alaska that's remote, you know, that's a fly-in. What do you think the comparison's like there? Uh, I think for the most part, you know, you're not going to encounter as, I don't know, fast and furious fishing on the road system as you might in a fly out. Um, You certainly might not get the the size fish just because, you know, they they're probably eating a little bit better and they're not. Well, they're not hit as hard, I guess, is is a better Mm -hmm. way to put it. Um, But to be honest, I've never taken a fly out trip. I'm kind of a a road system Mm -hmm. dirt bagger at this point. Um, Mm -hmm. But. From stories I've heard from from others that have done flyouts, you know, some of the streams I fish, it's like I feel like I do just as well, if not better than than their reports. So um, yeah. I'm fairly confident in that. But that's that may be the quality of the fishery. That might be, you know, just me trying to go farther than than other road system anglers are to where I get to that more romantic, the remote sense of fishing, I guess. So. Yeah, right. You can get out away from it. Where yeah. would be, do you have any thoughts on, you know, if you were going to fly out where you would go first in Alaska? Because there's so many places, right? I mean, I yeah. even, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a good question, Dave. I'd probably say Arctic Alaska. Um, yeah. I, you can, you can drive up there. There's the Dalton Highway. Um, that's one of the places where you have to get a specialized rental car company because most of them won't let you take a car up there. Um, yeah. But my wife and I took a trip up there a couple of Septembers ago, trying to uh, hit the Sea Run Dolly Varden um, when they're coming up to coming up to spawn because those fish are just incredible. I mean, they're they're gorgeous and they can get huge coming out of the Arctic Ocean. Um, and you can you can target them on the road system, but I'd really like to do a a fly out, get a pack raft, um, maybe drive mm. up there to to one of those remote airstrips, do a fly out to you know one of the one of the many tributaries to to those big arctic rivers and and just float back to the road and and drive home i think that'd be that'd be a super fun trip that'd be pretty cool what what does the species list look like you mentioned arctic grayling yeah on the road system is it pretty much everything you can catch everything what's that look like i'd say yeah you can catch just about anything i mean you got all five species of pacific salmon um you know at various points along the road system you've got uh, pretty good steelhead fishing down on on like the Sterling Highway, um, rainbow trout of course, um, the mm-hmm. Alaska rainbows, Arctic grayling, pike. You can get pike on the road system. It might take a little bit of hiking, but uh, you can get mm-hmm. some some good pike fishing. Um, Dolly Varden, of course, some Arctic char. But uh, yeah, I feel like any any species, Alaskan species, you want to if you try hard enough, you can you can locate some on the road system. So. You can find them. Nice. Yeah. Well, what would the, let's just think of somebody who's trying to plan a trip, right? And maybe they're even driving up. Maybe they're down in Canada or on the West Coast and they're just going to drive up. Yeah. What would you recommend as far as timing? Because there's probably, 
I don't know, you know, busy times maybe, but when would be a really good time if you want to kind of hit some fish and travel and have a good experience? Yeah. Um, I'd say, you know, think about what species again you want to, you want to prioritize because that's going to influence, yeah. you know, when you but should let's say, up. let's say if it was, um, you know, let's throw a few like Arctic railing, you okay. know, maybe, um, maybe throw some rainbows. I'm not sure if there's some mousing in there. Let's just say that you want to hit some rainbows with some mice, some Arctic grayling and maybe even schnook, but that would be like your third one, like maybe for at the end of the trip. Okay. Yeah. So all, all signs point to June at that point. Um, I would say so. Yeah. Like say like third week of June, you're coming up. Um, yeah, I mean, grayling, the nice thing about them is they're basically available all summer long. Um, they overwinter in, in the larger rivers and then they'll trickle up into their, their headwater streams during the summertime. So by, by that time in June, they're going to be, they're going to be in the small streams where they're going to spend the summer. So, um, mm, okay. you could, okay. you could pick those up and I mean, dry flies, nymphs, they're, they're eating pretty heavily at that point. Um, you might be able to catch, speaking of trout, um, of course you can, you can through mouse patterns and that's a super fun way to, to fish trout up here just because they're so they're hungry they're voracious um and then also there you might catch the tail end of of the smolt run um which is when the uh the out migrating salmon smolt you know the little one to two year old fingerlings they're swimming back um headed toward the ocean eventually uh typically that happens like late may early june on the road system but like i said you might be able to catch the the tail end of that or at least fool a couple of nice trout into into some smolt patterns, you know? Right. 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 Um, that's cool. Yeah. So then in that case, again, like parks highway is going to be your, your place to go for the trout. And assuming you're coming up from the Alaska highway, that actually would make for a pretty nice and easy trip. Cause you can, you could hit the interior on your way down. Cause the Alaska highway would take you straight into Delta junction. Um, and then you could take the, uh, the Richardson down fish grayling on the way down to Anchorage and then, pop up the parks highway and, and fish trout. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, uh, getting into, to Kings kind of our, our last criteria here. Um, yeah. Kenai peninsula is kind of where it's at for, for Kings at that point, you can catch Kings on, on the parks highway, but those fisheries have, have closed down. Unfortunately, oh. in, in recent years, you know, they've, uh, Alaska department of fish and game has issued emergency closures just cause the, the runs have been so low. Um, but then Kenai Peninsula, I mean, they do the same thing. They'll they'll close runs occasionally, but um, there are a few rivers down there that tend to stay open a little bit longer. Um, they have bigger runs, I think, on average, so they tend to stay open a little longer. Gotcha. Okay. So, and let's just take it. Let's just take Chinook out of the equation and just say you want to experience the highway in Alaska or the road system. Um, and catch fish wherever you end up. What would be the best time if you're not really thinking specifically for a species? Uh, if you can swing the shoulder season, I'd say like late August, early September. Um, mm. For for a few reasons. I mean, one, the fish know that that winter's coming and it's time to to start putting putting the boogie on for for eating. Um, and then also, salmon have have been dropping eggs at least like the the kings and the sockeyes. Um, they've been dropping eggs for a while. You've got pinks and chums coming in. If it's a, if it's a pink year, um, which is every other, every other year. So even numbered years, we just had a mm. pink, we just had a pink year this summer and, and it'll be kind of a, a lower year this coming mm-hmm. summer. But, um, 
basically everything's dropping eggs. I mean, there's there's decaying salmon carcasses in the river, so so fish are fat and happy. They're they're willing to eat. So that's always fun. And and of course, like beads are the are the main game at that time. Like egg mm-hmm. imitations, flesh flies, but you can also still catch a lot of really nice fish. Sometimes the biggest fish in a in a hole will, will move better for a swung streamer than they will for for an egg, just because. Yep on the road system, you know, they've seen, they've seen a million egg patterns, you know, um, right. And, right. you know, poorly presented, uh, egg and flesh imitations. So if you can, if you can throw a, a swung fly in front of them, oftentimes they're, they're pretty aggressive for that. Okay. And, and so that would be good late August, early September as you come up to maybe just describe the road system. So you've talked about a little bit, the main arteries, you know, are there places like if you had your own car and you were just kind of going to be like, I want to take this spur road out, how would you find all those roads and like where maybe you might not want to go because it might get a little sketchy? Is there any advice there? Yeah, um, there are a few roads like that. Spur roads are, are kind of hard because they're not they're not always well documented like on the Internet. It's mm. kind of like you have to be there yeah. to, to know what's there. Um, yeah. On the Parks Highway, there's the the Petersville Spur Road, which that can that can lead to some pretty good fishing, um, but it can also get uh, pretty potholy, pretty sketchy, especially mm-hmm. during moose season, which starts up tail end of August most years. Um, mm-hmm. But then, uh, trying to think here, you can go up. I mean, for trout, really, the Parks Highway is is pretty special, just because it literally crosses over so many good trout streams. You don't have to go down any spur roads to, to find it. I mean, there are little like gravel roads that, um, you know, skirt the river for however far, but, um, that's not something a rental car company is going to have a problem. You taking it down, but yeah. Um, yeah. Assuming you have your own car and you're like, say in the interior, there's, uh, there's like the Taylor highway, there's the Steese highway, uh, there's the Manly Hot Springs Highway. All of those lead to to good grayling fishing, and um, okay, they can get sketchy because uh, they're they're gravel. They're all gravel in some places, um, and pretty frost heavy. We have these big frost heaves up here that make for uh, some pretty interesting car rides sometimes. But right, um, right, yeah. Is that time of year? That August is that a as far as weather? Is that pretty much? I mean, is it pretty much like? July, August, September are all just perfect for whether it's light all day long and great. It starts getting dark August and September. And I, I mentioned earlier, you know, like my my wake up call during that season is like one or two AM just to to make sure that I'm on the water before the sun comes up. Um mm-hmm. and that might happen at like four or five in late August. And then it starts getting, you know, darker and darker as uh, you know, you hear about Alaska the the dark, right? Um yeah. that starts to take over in in September. Um, but weather wise, weather wise, it can, August can be rainy, which that can be a good thing. Sometimes, you know, bring water levels up and get, get more food moving through the system. What's unfortunate is it can easily turn into, I don't know, like Alaska's monsoon season. Um, for example, this past summer, uh, like July 15th, it started raining. Yeah. Hammered. We got hammered. Stop. Yeah. Started raining basically till. October when things started freezing. So, God, that's right. Yeah, we were up there uh, with fish hound expeditions. Uh, okay, and uh, we flew into like the Susitna, some tribs up there, and yeah, it was just super high. Yeah, and, uh, it turned out it started. We luckily it started dropping for us a little bit, but yeah, they said I think I think Adam said they had like five huge flooding events in one summer. 
yeah, it was it was pretty crazy. I mean, I've seen I've seen some pretty big rain years in the the eight years I've been here, but last last fall was uh, the biggest by far. And that was the biggest. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the streams that I do super well on for trout in the in the fall, I just couldn't I couldn't fish because you know you're you're hiking down, you're like crossing over a dozen times in the course of a day, and you just can't you just can't cross safely. So, um, which was a huge bummer because you know, it was a pink year. There was a lot of food in the, in the river. The few trout that I did catch were just, you know, fat and, and super aggressive. And I wish I had been able to fish, you know, the whole system. Today's episode is sponsored by Country Financial. The fires in the Northwest and throughout the West in the last few years have been devastating for thousands of people. Uh, those folks, some folks have lost their homes, their belongings, uh, and their sense of safety has all been challenged. This is why insurance and protecting your assets are so critical. Dalton at Country Financial is here, and he was on the front lines during the fires, handing out checks to Country Financial community members, providing drinks, food, and more. And each time Dalton meets up with a client, he does an extensive review of their current assets and coverage. This is his opportunity to really decide and let you know what you need uh, to make educated decisions for your insurance needs. This is a super critical piece. And Dalton Roy, Roy loves it. He loves getting out in the rural community, connecting with people, loves the outdoors, fishing, hunting, everything that goes with it. And so I'm excited to be sharing uh, Country Financial and Dalton with you. The unexpected will happen, so it's always best to make sure your assets and life are protected. You can head over to wetflyswing.com slash country right now to get started. That's C-O-U-N-T-R-Y. Check out Dalton and support this podcast and a great local company right now. Well, I'm, I'm looking at a map here that's on, I guess this is like alaskateacher.org. It's got, okay. a, it's got like the road system and numbered um, letters for each one. Um, and I was just going to look at some a few of these here. I mean, the, yeah, you got the main one for, like from Fairbanks up north is the Dalton Highway you mentioned. Yeah. You got... Um, out of Fairbanks there, uh, let's see, the Stacey, is it Stacey Highway? Stacey Highway, yep. Goes out to Circle. Is that something, what's that like? You're kind of up north there. Is that a pretty cool area? Yeah, I, I mean, personally, I think it's pretty cool. It, it gets pretty busy with uh, caribou hunters in, uh, mm. in August and September because that's one of the, I mean, you got the big city of, well, relatively speaking, the big city of Fairbanks. And, um, you know, 50,000 people would love to go out and, and shoot a caribou within 50 miles of their front door. So, oh, right. So everybody's out there. Everybody's yeah, going for it. Everybody's going for it. Um, of course, grailing, grailing would be the name of the game if you were going on the Steez. Um, okay. Which that said, you can, you can easily get away from, from caribou hunters. Cause I mean, they're not, they're not following the creeks the same way you would be. So, oh, right. um, it'd be different. Yeah. And for, for upland hunters too, I mean, that's, uh, something I've gotten more into the Steez highway can be awesome for, mm. for ptarmigan hunting, but, oh, yeah, but there you're, there you're fighting caribou hunters for, you know, camping gotcha. spots or, or whatever the case is. So, okay. um, pretty neat road though. Yeah. What, what about if you on Fairbanks, if you head like out towards Canada, this is on the, yeah, I guess that's towards Haynes junction is, well, I guess that is the yeah. Alaska highway. That's how you come in. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, there are a lot of uh, good grayling streams there. Uh, you can do take a little uh, strategizing, but you can you can take boats like across the Tanana River and do hike-ins for 
for some pretty epic pike fly fishing um, mm-hmm. in around like the Delta area. Uh, but then right around Delta is some of the best grayling fishing. Um, I think in the state, I mean, there's the Delta Clearwater river, which that that's such an amazing fishery. It's, it's got everything that, that grayling need to, to get big. Um, and it's just, yeah, I don't know. I, I always compare it. It's like Alaska's version of the Henry fork. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just, just dry fly fishing, reliable hatches. It, it, yeah, it's, it's a pretty cool place. Nice. Nice. Okay. So, and I'm just trying to get a feel for, I mean, it seems like, yeah, you got the main roads and there's a lot of the, if you, the side stuff, you'd have to kind of do a little more research on it for sure. and maybe even timing. If you wanted to hit more of that, you know, summertime, longer days, probably July, what, what's July look like in Alaska? If you're doing do the road system. Yeah. July is pretty great. I mean, Typically, you you could have a shot at all five uh, Pacific salmon species if you if you want to, depending on where you are. Um, and weather-wise, I'd say July is probably the most reliable. Um, in fact, when when my parents uh, come up to visit, I always suggest you know July or early August, just because weather's most to reliable. To miss the rain. To miss the rain. Of course, this this past summer was the exception to that rule. Um, the the other thing about July to consider though is it's also typically the busiest time. Yeah. Uh, so if you're interested in getting away from people, it can be done, but just be aware that you know as many people as are going to come to Alaska to fish are probably going to do it in July or thereabouts. Right, right. That's July, yeah. and then June you could get a little fewer people if you hit June. But then what's the problem with June versus July? Yeah, problem with June is depending on uh, snowfall. Uh, the winter before you can still be experiencing, uh, some pretty heavy rivers, heavy murky rivers, just from, from snow melt and, you know, mm-hmm. ice, ice thawing up in the mountains from, from headwater streams. That's always the danger. Um, you know, that can happen, that can happen last week of May. It can happen like middle of May, but it can also happen third week of June too. It all just depends on, on snowpack and what the, what the winter was like and what the spring's like too. If, if temperatures stay low and stuff doesn't thaw mm. for a while, then, then you're kind of out of luck. Gotcha. So basically you have, yeah, you got July, which is the peak. You got August, which could be great, but it could also rain on you. Yeah. And then you got September, which could be great too, and likely good weather, but then it's getting a little darker out. But yeah, I, I see why September could be the one. And then, then you get into like October. And I mean, at what point do you get where you don't want to be driving up, you know, up and around Alaska too much? Yeah, I'd say probably mid, mid-October is, is pretty safe. Um, I mean, that said, there are always exceptions, right? Like, I think it was a couple of years ago, it wasn't second, it wasn't until the second week in November that we, that we had a good snowfall that stuck, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, in which case you could fish. Um, but the other thing too, like trout, trout, I'll use them as an example here. Mm-hmm. I mean, grayling too, but they, they know when to head back to, to the main river, you know, um, they're coming up into their, their little streams for the summer to feed, but then they're dropping back down. So usually past mid October, um, it's harder to catch them because they're using the Susitna for an example. They're, they're mm-hmm. back in the Susitna and that's a big, fairly murky river. Yeah. Um, I have heard of guys that have timed it, you know, exactly right, like third week of October, and they're fishing the Susitna when it's when it's cleared up, like ice right. is ice is locking up up high, and and the river is cleared for a oh, few days clear. before it freezes. Yeah, wow. um, 
but that's a that's a pretty specific situation that someone traveling up here it'd be next to impossible to time that correctly you know yeah um, tough. overall like yeah mid-october is is probably yeah. the probably the best the end of it yeah what are some of the when you and I want to get into some of your books too and some of the articles you've written here in a sec, but what are some of the other sites? You know, you've got Denali, which is cool. I mean, if somebody was coming up doing like the family trip, definitely wanted to do lots of fishing. Yeah. But also wanted to just experience Alaska. What what do you what would you tell somebody? What would they need to what would they you know think about uh, you know kind of researching? Yeah. No, that's a that's a good question and um one that I'm getting better at answering um, in the past, it was always like fishing, fishing, fishing. For yeah. me. If it didn't involve, if it didn't involve fishing, I wasn't interested. So like, right. the, you know, the, the sites off to the side, you know, the tourist things to do, I, I didn't really experience, but I'm, I'm getting better about that. So, uh -huh. um, I would say like the Delta junction area is just beautiful to be in. Um, and in fact, that stretch of road from Delta down to like Paxson, this is the Richardson highway um that goes through the alaska range that's got to be one of the prettiest drives in the world mm, as, okay. as far as i'm concerned and and there are a lot of uh pretty neat hiking trails along that route um in fact one of them you can hike like right up to a glacier i believe it's the kastner glacier trail um but yeah plenty of opportunities it's a fairly long drive but a lot of opportunities to stop take the family out you know yeah. take the dog out if you have one and and walk around so that's how the like Richards Highway ends at Valdez, is that right? Uh yeah, it does. Yeah. So Valdez up to uh up to uh, what is the next junction up there, Glen Glen Allen? Uh Glen Allen, yeah. And actually that's where my, my wife's family is at is near Glen Allen. So we spend a lot of time in, in what's considered the Copper River Valley, um, mm, right around yeah. there. That's a that's a pretty amazing area to be in too. A lot of a lot of local history. Um, there's the, uh, there's the town of McCarthy, which that might be another spur road that rental car companies don't like you going on, but, yeah. um, how do those rental companies, how do they know, uh, what roads you're on? That's a good question. I think a lot of them have, have trackers in them. Oh, they have trackers in them. Right. They got smart. I think so. Yeah. Cause they have, right. yeah, my, uh, my, uh, wife's aunt and uncle and, and their family came up a few years ago and, and they didn't know that you couldn't take a rental car on, on the Denali highway. Um, and they did. And, and I believe they got charged for it fairly significantly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, there are rental companies that do let you, um, you know, it's like there four by some. four rentals. I think Alaska four by four and Alaska overlander are a few oh, okay. companies that they don't mind you taking their, their vehicles out just cause they're equipped for that, you know? Yep. Um, but yeah, and then as far as other attractions go, I mentioned like McCarthy and the Kennecott Copper Mine. That's pretty cool. Um, Valdez is pretty fun to visit. I mean, if you want to uh, take a break from the fly fishing and do some some halibut fishing, some saltwater stuff, that's a great place to do it. Um, and then also the Kenai Peninsula, if you're headed down that way, which it's it's pretty close to Anchorage. So if you're flying into Anchorage, for example, that's a, a super yeah. easy trip to take is, is down Kenai. to the Kenai. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not only is, is the Kenai river world famous as far as fishing goes. Right. Mm -hmm. But there's, there are a lot of, uh, hiking trails that take you like straight up into the mountains, um, yeah. within the, uh, the Chugach national forest down there. So that's totally. pretty awesome. And then, yep. uh, of course you've got Seward and, and Homer. Seward, yeah. Yeah. Both, both coastal towns that are, that are pretty awesome to experience too. 
good stuff. And you got the national park, the fjords, right? Fjords or whatever oh, yeah. it is down there, Keenan yep. Fjords. Yeah. Take a take a boat trip, see some whales. It's it's pretty awesome. Yeah, that would be cool. And what is the I, I'm I'm guessing camping, you know, there's lots of that. Is it pretty much you can kind of camp? How does that look? Could, do you have to could you just pull off and find a cool spot and camp, you know, wherever there's you know what I mean? Like or do you have is it kind of designated stuff? Yeah, you can. I mean, there are definitely designated like manicured uh, bells and whistles campgrounds that you can stay in. But yeah, you can you can pull off the side of the road and and camp if you want to. I mean, make sure it's a, a safe area and you're not like on private property, right? But yeah, um, yeah, that's that's another thing that you know. Going back to your question about why why I've stayed up here, and I mentioned the freedom thing, like mm-hmm. just being able to you know, camp wherever is, is pretty freeing. <laughs> so, yeah. especially with, you know, the way I, I fish and tend to do things like getting up super early. Like I rarely set up a tent. I'm usually just sleeping in the bed of my truck, like hmm. not comfortable at all, but it yep. does the job and I don't have to take the time to set up camp. So, sure. um, and then I can just pull off and sleep, get up and go fish. So, right. Right. That's perfect. What's Anchorage? Um, you know, you've lived in both places, Fairbanks versus Anchorage. You know, what's the difference between those two? Uh, so, I mean, Anchorage is a lot bigger. Um, obviously, it's, you know, it's coastal, whereas Fairbanks is interior. So weather like Fairbanks gets so much colder than Anchorage. Oh, it does. Um, yeah. Yeah. But then, I don't know, everyone, everyone in Alaska that you know, they love to hate on Anchorage. Um, yep, that's right. It's like Los Anchorage or the yep. other joke is, Oh yeah. Y- if you're in Anchorage, you can almost see Alaska. That's right. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, but it's, it's a hub, right? It's, it's nice to have yeah. the, that's where everybody is. I mean, what is it? 80, 90% of the people are in Anchorage. Exactly. Yeah. Or the, or the Matsu Valley, which is, you know, right next door. So. Have you guys thought about, you know, where would you, where could you go outside of Anchorage and Fairbanks that could be a cool, you know, are there places or does it just get kind of tougher to live out there? It does get tougher to live. And and that's something my wife and I have talked a lot about just coming, both coming from rural backgrounds, like being in a city, it just, you know, we never have felt totally comfortable in a city. Um, and so we've talked about, you know, where would we move? And, and I've always mentioned like Delta Junction, like that'd be a cool place. There's, it's got, you know, a, a pretty nice community feel and it's also, you know, the biggest farming area in Alaska. So there's that type of community. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, with any small town, like there are, there are issues like think about raising kids. Like if they're, yeah. they're, in, if they're in a bad bunch schools. of kids, like nowhere to go schools, exactly. Like trying yeah. to get, trying to get groceries. That's, harder, more expensive, like everything's just more challenging. Right. Um, and then, uh, we've talked about Glen Allen too, like where she kind of, where she grew up and, um, kind of same issues there. What's that like? What's Glen Allen? Like, how is it like populated? Is it just super tiny? It's fairly tiny. I think it's got, I don't know, three, 4,000 people, um, you know, in the larger area. Um, and so it's got like a grocery store. It's got like a bank. It's got like a lot of the major facilities that you need. Yeah. Town. But like her parents, they still come into to Anchorage mostly for, for groceries. Oh, wow. So that's like how far is it from Anchorage to Glen Allen? Uh it's about three and a half hours, probably closer to four in the winter. So you're making a, a pretty good haul just for grocery runs, you know? Yeah, that's right. That's it. I mean everything is, yeah, I mean everything's hub you know, around Anchorage, around, I mean, when you look at the, I'm just looking at this one map, but I mean, yeah, everything is around Anchorage and Fairbanks. And then if pretty much 
the whole, you know, western part of the state, there's not a single road. It doesn't look like there's a single road, you know, kind yeah. of west. Is that true? Or are there roads tucked in there somewhere? I mean, there are little gravel roads tucked in there, like ATV, snow machine trails, things that can pass for roads if you try hard enough, I suppose. Um, there is a, a small highway system up by Nome. Oh, I see that. Yeah, a little. Yeah, so you could fly in there and then drive yeah. a little bit. Actually, yeah, that's a that's a trip I'm I'm kind of intrigued by is just flying into Nome and um, you know renting a little car and, and driving around because looks cool. Yeah, that uh, that Seward Peninsula, um, which that's kind of a, a common misconception. People hear the town Seward and then you see the the landform Seward Peninsula, you think they're in the same oh, spot. They're like no. opposite parts of the state. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, when you look at a map, you, and I've been up to Bethel, I've been up to Fairbanks, but. You know, I didn't realize, you know, you think, I always thought, you know, think of Bethel as like way up north, but really that whole Kuskokwim, all that stuff is pretty far south. I mean, Fairbanks yeah. is at the same, you know, cross from Nome, but yeah, so Fairbanks is way up there. I mean, it, what happens when you go up towards north on the uh, Dalton Highway? What, what is that Dalton Highway? Have you driven that up there? I have. It's it's pretty cool. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a road that your trip can, nothing can go wrong. It can be a super pleasant trip and it can be one where everything goes wrong. You know, um, everyone says to plan on bringing like two extra full size spare tires, like Mm. 10 to 20 extra gallons of gas, um, tire compressor, basically a a totally robust emergency kit because there aren't gas stations everywhere up there. Right. There's a, there's a gas station. Of course, like leaving Fairbanks, you've got access to gas, but then it's not until you get to Coldfoot, which I don't know off the top of my head how far Coldfoot is from, from Anchorage, but it's a yeah. solid four or five hour drive, you know? Yeah. Um, and then Coldfoot to Dead Horse, I think is like 240 miles and Dead Horse would be, you know, that's way up against the Arctic Ocean. That'd be the next spot to get gas or, or automotive mm. help if you need it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got these huge stretches where there's just nothing. I mean, and the kind of the saving grace there is that the Dalton's pretty well traveled by by truckers just going up to the oil oh, fields right. there in, yeah, in yeah, Dead yeah, Horse. Sure. So and they're they're always, you know, willing to to lend a helping hand. And yeah, and there are a few DOT stations, which that's kind of what saved our our bacon a few years ago. Oh, you had some problems? We had, yeah, popped two tires up there. On and what are you popping the tires on? how are the tires getting popped? just the gravel it's funny the uh the truckers call the dalton gravel arrowheads huh. um because yeah just pop tires are, are such a common thing up there um and of course in my naivety i just brought one i just brought one full-size spare and never thought i'd pop two within sure. like an hour of each other wow um and so luckily we had um tire plugs but we didn't have a portable tire compressor so we swung into one of the dot stations and luckily they were nice enough to help us out we we gave them some cookies in exchange i think but yeah yeah Jace. so you were yeah so that is the thing so the tires is the big thing and then gas and gas and, yeah uh, and it's just and, but that highway is worth the trip because what you're seeing you know how is it different than say if you're driving down from fairbanks um kind of south or towards haynes junction yeah i mean it's just it's just wilder it's more more rugged i mean you can drive up there and I mean, we saw muskox when we drove up there. Like, oh, wow. that's not that's not an animal that many people get to no. see, you know. Um, so it's huh. it's pretty cool to do. And it's that. gravel. It's gravel. Yep. Yep. So you're cruising like 40, 50 miles an hour the whole way. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. I think forty five is kind of the the general speed you're going. Um, but yeah, I mean, just seeing things you wouldn't see anywhere else in 
course, far fewer people. I mean, you have a few adventurers that will be traveling the road with you, but, um, yeah, it's a pretty, pretty solitary experience, which, uh, which is cool. That is cool. Well, let, let's hear about your, um, let's hear about some of your books. Give us a rundown on what you've written and, uh, and also on the, uh, I want to talk about that, uh, fly fisherman, any articles that maybe we can highlight, put a link to that would share, you know, more insight onto this road system. Sure. Um, so I, I mentioned, I just kind of finished up writing one for, uh, for fly fisherman magazine. Of course, I, I've learned to never, never bank on an article showing up until it's like published and in my hand, you know, cause mm-hmm. I know in, in the publishing industry, magazines, books, whatever, uh, like things change, things happen. So, I mean, they happen slowly, but they can also happen quickly. So, um, fingers crossed that that one actually shows up, but that was all about the road system. So kind of everything we just discussed, um, you know, in written form is basically what that one is. And then, uh, my book, uh, my, my first book just came out on Tuesday, actually. It's called It's Only Fishing. Um, Mm -hmm. and it was about my, my 2020 season, of course, the, the pandemic year, um, and being a road system angler, that's basically a, a memoir of a year in the life of a road system angler up here. So, oh, perfect. Uh, that provides some some information. It's mostly you know some some insights, hopefully some uh, some experiences in in fly fishing that mm. others can can relate to. And so that'd be a good one to if you're traveling up there. That'd be a good one to throw in the glove box to read on your way up. Yeah, I mean, if anything, it might uh, it might inspire you to you know see what's around the the next bend or or hike that extra mile. Just you know, see what's out there. That's that's kind of the tack I tried to take with it. I told myself at the beginning of the season I was going to write an essay for every fishing trip I took, mm. um, whether it was successful or not. You know, and so the yeah. the book is sort of a combination of of all of them. A lot of them got edited out just because they they didn't turn out very well, but. Mm. Um, the rest yeah. I'm, I'm pretty happy with. So I, I hope, yeah, I hope people right. buy it and enjoy it. How many out of that book out of the, how many essays did you have total? And then how many made it into the book? Uh, I think I wrote something like 20 and then 16 of them, uh, okay. made it into the book. So yeah. So just four got cut out of there. So these are, and these are your travels through 2020, like that, like, uh, basically starting in what, what may and, and through into October. Yeah, exactly. So then it's also kind of a, a seasonal study, I guess, of, of Alaska, you know, what you can expect in, in different seasons, like May is, May is ice out fishing, which can be hit or miss. And then, uh, we kind of finish out with October, which can also be hit or miss. In fact, mm. I think the last chapter, it's about duck hunting more than it is fishing because oh, cool. the fish weren't around. So I ended up hunting ducks instead. Nice. There you go. Well, we, maybe we'll touch on the duck hunting. What, what was in that 2020 in the book? What was, was there a, an event or a crazy thing that happened to you during that, uh, that whole thing? Um, what was the weirdest, craziest thing that you remember? Was it pretty, pretty straightforward? There were a few things. Um, I don't know. I guess one of my selling points for the book is that it's like unexceptional adventures of a road system angler, which I think mm. a lot of, a lot of fly anglers can, you know, relate to because, you know, when you go fishing, most of the time it's fairly uneventful. Like, yeah, you might catch the fish of a lifetime. You might do okay. But, um, so that's kind of, that's kind of why I wrote it. I just thought that, that people could could identify with those types of stories yeah. more than the typical gotcha. adventure. Like I got chased down by a bear, you know, right. that sort of did thing. you catch a, tr- did you catch a fish of a lifetime during that, that book? Um, I caught, I caught a couple that they were, they were close to my, my biggest trout, but they were, they were pretty memorable fish. Um, just because 2020 
that was a pink year. So the fishing was pretty outstanding. Um, but in terms of fish of a lifetime, they were just super tough fish. Um, you know, they'd seen, they'd seen beads thrown at them, um, you know, for, for a month. Um, they were ones that, that didn't go for my swung fly, uh, swung fly strategy. And, and so I really had to, to sit and, and think about them and think how I was going to catch those fish and, um, ended up catching them luckily. So, um, a happy ending there, but, um, yeah, in terms of the challenge, I think is what made them the, the fish of a lifetime. And then, uh, talking about weird experiences, that same chapter, which I think it's either chapter 13 or chapter 14. Um, it's called pops. It's about my grandpa, but, um, mm. anyway, that same trip, I came across four grizzly bears, um, at once in, oh, nice. in the, the Creek I was fishing. And wow. luckily it wasn't, you know, they were like 20 feet from me or something. I came around the bend. I saw this pink salmon flopping around, you know, her, her head torn open freshly because bears love eating salmon brains for oh, whatever right. reason. That's right. Um, and I thought I'm about to see a bear, you know, and I come around the gravel bar and sure enough, there's, there's three, they must've been yearlings, but there were three yearling grizzlies fishing like one of the best trout pools on, on the stream. Cause it's of course stacked with salmon. Um, and I'm like a hundred yards away with, with bear spray. I didn't, I didn't carry a pistol back then. I do now. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I yelled at them and luckily these bears, this was like Northern parks highway area. Um, so they're still fairly wild bears. They're not accustomed to you know, people in the whole fishing game, like they are maybe down on like the Russian or the Kenai river. Mm, right. Um, and so I shouted at them, it got their attention. They started moving off, but then, yeah. then it must've been the mom that had adopted either one or two of the cubs. I'm not sure, but she came out and she was, you know, full size grizzly bear. She's what you think of when you think of grizzly bear. Yeah. Um, and, and I yelled at her and she just stood up at me and I'm looking at this like seven foot bear and I'm like, okay, I'm, just going to stand here. You do what you need to do when you're gone. I'll, I'll move along, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, luckily, luckily they eventually sauntered off and didn't see him again, but you never thought you were going to die at any point on that one. No, but, but I'm sure you've, you've seen bears, Dave, like yeah, just being in their presence, regardless of the distance, like, yeah, you know, they could take you down. Yeah. It's an awesome experience, but it's also like primal fear, you know, that right. you feel like at the base of your spine sort of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Today's episode is sponsored by Maverick Fly Fishing. They make the lightest Euro nip reel in the world, which makes your rod more sensitive, casting more accurate, and you can hold your dead drifts longer without the shoulder burn. This reel is so unique, you may not even recognize it as a fly reel. I had a chance to fish the stinger reel with Jeff on his home river on the Truckee. The biggest thing that I remember is the weight. The weight really stuck out because you can't even barely tell there's a reel. It's essentially kind of like you're holding a rod all day long. I mean, it's that light. And uh, and when you're euro niffing, that is a key. And the other big thing I remember from that day was catching uh, a fish on my first cast. Pretty cool to be down in that part of the country and have some great success with Jeff. Maverick keeps things simple by offering a Euronymph product line with essentials you'll need from rod, reel, fly line, and leader system. Euronymphing doesn't have to be complicated, so let Maverick Fly Fishing get you started right now. You can learn more by checking out Maverick's YouTube channel for some tips and tutorials. And you can also head over right now to wetflyswing.com maverick to check out the good stuff they have going. 
That's Maverick, M-A-V-R-K, wetflyswing.com slash Maverick to support this podcast and take a look at one of the most unique and efficient Euronipping setups on the market. Okay, back to the show. Okay, and what about on your, um, so your writing, so you've written this book, you've written some other stuff on that Fly Fishman article, maybe describe that a little bit. Was that, um, does that take what we talked about today on the road system a little further or is it kind of what, like what we talked about? It does, yeah. So it, I mean, it goes over basically all the roads we talked about, the species, the timing, uh, but then it gets, it gets into flies and what you can expect as far as tactics go. Um, and then just kind of general considerations, um, with my writing, I always try and take more of a, a why to approach instead of how to, I mean, not only is that kind of where fly fishing literature is going in general, um, which I, which I really like, you know, magazines like strung and gray sporting journal and mm-hmm. fly fish journal and the Drake, it's more like the culture of the sport instead of just how to do it. Yeah. Um, and so even in more how to magazines, I try and make it more why to and, and how to appreciate where you're fishing and the fish you're catching. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not like tie on this length of, you know, three X tippet, tie it to this size fly. Um, it's not quite that detailed in terms of how to, um, but I feel like I definitely give some, some guidelines on where to start. So where to start, what is on your writing, you know, who I, I mentioned, John, uh, Gearock, who obviously yeah. has written some good stuff. Who were who some of your influencers in the writing space? Yeah, definitely John Gearock. In fact, uh, one of his, one of his famous or one of my favorite quotes of his, um, graces the the front of my book, and um, I was very honored when he when he agreed to let me do that. Um, and that one is, you could say the same thing about uh, fishing that they say about baseball that it takes a an adult to play the game well, but it takes a kid to think it's important. That's right. That's a great one. That's that is a great, a great one. one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, John Gearock definitely. Um, I feel like his, I emulated his style probably mostly in my writing just because I love his, you know, conversational style. I mean, he feels like, it feels like he's just telling you a fishing story over a, a beer or a campfire or something. Yeah. Um, but I also definitely uh, like Thomas McGuane, you know, Ted oh, Leeson, yeah. um, Harry Middleton, those those famous fly fishing writers. So, um, and kind of the the deeper conversations that they get into, you know, using using fishing as, uh, as sort of the lens through which to view those, those deeper things. Right. Right. Yeah. It's not, it's not the fishing, it's the stories within exactly yeah. getting to the fishing or all that. And that's kind of what you do in your book. You, you, you've got the fishing there, which is, you know, you're picking up, picking up the book maybe for that, but you go into other stuff. What is the most random in that book, the most random topic or story you went into that's not even related to fishing? That's a good question. Probably, I don't know, just my experience in, in becoming a teacher is kind of, kind of apparent in the book. Um, uh-huh. cause at the, at the time, I mean, not only was, was everyone thrown into the whirlwind of, uh, COVID-19 during the summer of 2020, but, um, it was also a pretty, pretty strange year for me because I, I gave up a, a, a salaried job producing videos for the university so I could start my teaching internship to be mm. a, to be a high school teacher. Um, and so I was between jobs and, and teaching internships. They're not they're not paid up here. So that was that was a pretty big consideration. I you could just say I had a lot on my mind during that summer. Um, mm-hmm. And so some of the conversations are just kind of that angst of of young adulthood. And you know, am I going to be able to pay for this tire I just popped? And like, right, yeah. If, 
60% of my monthly budget's going to gas just to get around and, and fish and write about it. Like, is this really, is this really the most responsible choice I could be making? But right, um, right. ultimately I found like 2020 was really just the perfect excuse to go fishing a lot. And, and, uh-huh. you know, this book came out of it. So I, I think that gas was money good. was worth it. It <laughs> was good. What yeah. was for, for gear rock? I'm, I'm going to have him. I mentioned he's coming back on. Do you have a question you would ask him if you had him in front of you and you were talking to him? Um, ooh, that's a good one. You put me on spot, Dave. <laughs> yeah. Well, think about it. if you don't have one right away, we'll bring you back at the, and the two minute drill at the end. We'll, we'll circle back around on that if you come up with something, but I, I guess I do have one. Yeah. Let's hear it. Yeah. So I guess what was his, what does he feel is his like crowning achievement as, as a writer? Is it like, mm. you know, writing a bestseller or is it hearing from from readers that what he wrote really resonated with him. Like what does he see as, as true success in, in writing? Yeah. What is success? That is a good, that is a good one. I don't, I, I'm trying to think we had him on guy just been a few years now. And I remember we dug into some of that. I actually dug into a lot on the writing with him. Yeah. And I actually received some at the time. So people were like, Hey, I wish you, you know, would dig more into the fishing. But I asked him about that. I said, Hey, you know, are you, do you think of yourself more as a writer or as a fisherman first, right? And, yeah. And he, and he thinks of himself as a writer. Yeah, yeah. Like as much as he loves fishing, you know what I mean? Like he is a writer first. And like, well, well for you, I guess there you go. So right back at you. What, what's your, how do you see that question? Yeah, I definitely see myself as a, a writer because I, mm. I don't just write about fishing. You know, I, I dabble in fiction. I'm still, I'm still searching for that first published uh, novel. But, um, you know, whether it's upland hunting, whether it's just traveling, um, sometimes it's just experiences in my life. Like my, my default position, my factory setting is to, is to write, I feel like, and, and reflect in that way. Mm-hmm. Right on. And, uh, yeah, I guess anything else you want to, you know, share here as far as, you know, some of the stuff you have going in your writing, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting to me because it sounds like that's something, a real focus for you. I mean, do you have another book that you're already thinking about, you know, coming out with or how's all that look? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm, I don't know, I'd say halfway done maybe with the the next book. And then I've got a few fiction projects that I've finished that I'm just trying to, you know, rework into, into something decent. Uh, but in terms of the next like outdoor book, uh, I think it's going to be called Chasing the Dark. And it's going to be all about, you know, getting up to, to beat the sunrise and how that type of, how that type of passion is um, inherent in, in a lot of outdoorsmen and, and kind of what that means. Right. You mean chasing the dark. So basically like you're getting up at one in the morning sort of thing. Just, yep. yeah, chasing it. Exactly. Yeah. Or, you know, staying out, staying out on the water or, or in the field, whatever, whatever the activity mm. happens to be, um, even after yep. the, the sun sets, you know, so. Yeah. What, what's your typical, are you, uh, like in the summertime when you have light all day long, do you find yourself just like sleeping a few hours? Do you have a hard time getting like a full night's sleep, that sort of thing? Yeah, I, I do. It's, uh, because on the one hand, like a species like king salmon, for example, you're fishing late. So I typically don't start, you know, swinging flies for kings until like 10 or 11 p.m. Um, and then you're swinging through to like three or four in the morning and then, you know, taking a nap and just trying to like while away the the afternoon and evening, you know, maybe taking another nap until it's time to go fishing again. And then, uh, you know, getting up early for for trout and grayling, for example, maybe later when it actually is dark, that's getting up at two or three to, 
to drive either drive where I'm going or it's getting up at three or four just to to get up and and be make sure I'm first on the stream and also hmm. that I'm that I'm beating the sun to the water, you know. All right. Yep. So, but yeah, sleeping patterns become uh, pretty erratic during <laughs> during the summertime. So That's you, right. You kind of take naps when you can and just generally walk around Don't like, sleep. like a zombie for, like a, zombie, right. for a bit of it. Yeah. So you got the summer, so that's it. So you pretty much just don't sleep during the summer. And then in the wintertime, you catch up because it's pretty much like right now it's it's January. So how much, how, well, you're in Anchorage, so you have a little more of it like sunlight yeah. per day. When does the sun pop out and when does it go down up there right now? Oh, uh, it probably comes out around 9, 9.30 um, right now. And then it, it starts creeping back over four thirty five ish maybe okay so yeah you got a you got a good full day but if you're up in fairbanks yeah. how would that be different right now yeah it'd probably it'd probably be up 10 30 11 o'clock and then it'd be down at you know three or four um yeah and going to school and and working in in fairbanks that was always a bummer because like you'd get up and go to work in the dark and you'd come home in the dark and kind of miss all mm. of the all of the daylight and it also makes it hard for like winter activities too, you know, like I do a lot of snowshoe hair hunting and, uh, mm. um, and, and ptarmigan hunting in the wintertime. Um, and for me, who's used to getting up early and like being on the road to wherever I'm going super early, like now I don't have to leave until eight or nine in some cases. And it just feels like I've overslept in a case like that. Right. Do you see the writing that you're doing as, do you have like a goal to be, you know, kind of like gear rock and a few of the other people out there were like, it, you would be good if it was a full-time thing and you can go all in on that. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, my, my goal is kind of to publish a, a book, if not every year, every, every mm -hmm. other year. Um, and just kind of keep my, keep my conversation evolving, I guess, so to speak. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think I would do well just, you know, sitting down and writing for eight hours a day, but I think I'd do well you know, exploring different avenues. Maybe I want to write about fishing, you know, for, for this month. Maybe I want to focus more on, on bird hunting. Maybe I want to focus on travel, you know, another time, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. I guess getting, gathering experiences would be the main part of it and, and learning new things. And then, you know, tying that all together with, with writing. Yeah, exactly. Well, if we, and you have some other articles out there, what you've written in a few other magazines, what, what uh, well, first on this fly fisherman, is that out there now? Is that, do you remember the title of that one? Uh, that one is not out. In fact, okay, it might out. be, it might be a few months before it comes out, but yeah, it'll just be something along the lines of, of road system angling in Alaska. Yeah. Um, I just recently had one published, I believe in the, uh, November, December edition of Fly Fisherman. It might be October, okay. November. Um, but that was actually about a trip I took down to to Yakutat, uh, Alaska, to fish for steelhead this past spring. Oh, right. Yeah, um, Yakutat. Yeah, that's uh, world famous, of course, the the SeaTech River down there. Yeah, um, how was that? That was amazing. I mean, it was it was like almost life-changing. I, I know that sounds precious to say, but um, it yeah. really was an incredibly revelatory experience for me just I said, I told a lot of people that was the hardest thing I've ever written just by sheer nature of, uh, how much work it took one to catch fish and, and two, just, just that place and kind of how controversial it has become, I guess I'll oh, say. Oh, Roy. Yeah. So first, why has it become controversial? And second, talk about how you get to Yakutat. Yeah. So I guess first we'll talk about how to get to Yakutat cause that's easier. So it's down, um, you know, everyone, everyone, when they're referencing Alaska, like will put up their hand and make the rough shape the of thumb. Alaska. Yeah. yeah. It's basically at the crook of your, of your thumb. 
um, is where Yakutat is. So where, where Alaska starts splitting off into like all of the islands um, and fjords of southeast Alaska, basically right in the corner before that starts happening is Yakutat. Okay. Um, so it's like a, an hour plane ride from Anchorage. I think it's like a two or three hour flight from, from something like Seattle. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a little village, uh, with, uh, with a runway that, that lands like 737s, uh, every day. So it's a pretty, pretty unique place. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, the, the controversial bit just comes, um, it came from me wanting to write this article. In fact, I had a lot of people that were, they got pretty angry with me when I said I was, I was going to be writing about, about the sea tuck, mm-hmm. um, just sure. because it's, it's a special river, you know, it, it's the largest run of, of steelhead in the state, or it has right. been. Um, and in terms of like the fish you can catch and the size of those fish, um, it's like unmatched. I feel like anywhere mm. else in the world. I mean, I know the Skeena gets way more fish, but it's a much bigger system. The sea tuck's only 19 miles long. Um, and it's more like a trout stream than a steelhead, than a steelhead river. Um, but it still gets runs of, you know, 5,000 plus fish. Some years it gets, you know, upwards of 10,000. That hasn't happened for several yeah. years, unfortunately. But yeah. Um, yeah, just the pressure it gets. Um, you know, the people were that I mentioned were, were understandably upset just because they thought I was, you know, hot spotting a place and I was going to blow up the fishery. Right. Um, and like I say, I understand where they're, where they're coming from. The, the tech I tried to take kind of, kind of falls within what I mentioned is my, my writing style in general. I try and do more why to than how to. So I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't giving them the entire rundown on how to go and, and catch tons of fish. Um, I feel like the problem with, with that river is, is the expectations that people have, um, you know, because there are so many steelhead in the river, uh, people like tout the figure you can catch double digit steelhead yeah. in a day here, you know, right. And 20, 30 steelhead. I've heard of 30 steelhead being caught sure. in a day up there. Um, you can catch 40 plus inch fish, which it's not that rare of a fish on the sea tuck. Hmm. Um, yeah. What's the technique you guys are doing there for catching them? Yeah, you can fish, uh, swung flies. Like I mentioned, it's more like a, a trout stream than a steelhead river, but down lower, you can definitely spay fish, you know, swing some flies. We were actually fishing like egg sucking leeches and, and steelhead nymphs higher up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that seemed to be the the tactic um but of course they're steelhead right so they they're moody when they want to be um and this is one of those times where we could not have timed it better um you know and it it had nothing to do with the way we planned it we just lucked into some really amazing weather um and that was the river was super low like the week before we came which you know steelhead if the water's low and clear like you're not going to catch many fish probably like september Ah, uh, this is May actually. Oh wow, May. Yeah. Okay, yeah, you're on the other end. Um, okay, yeah. So there is a fall run in in like October, November actually, but the the majority of the run comes in uh, oh, April, right. April, May. I mean, yeah. March in some years they're steelhead, so they can so be. These are kind of the spring, winter fish. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, super low and clear the week before we show up. They get a big push of rain, which that made the fishing um, and the exploring hard just because the water was higher, you know, fish are more spread out. But then it started to drop. Yeah, um, right. And yeah, like I say, we could not have timed it more perfectly because there were more fish in. That big push of rain brought in more fish from the from the Pacific and just the river was chock full of steelhead and they were they were willing to 
to indulge our, our, our presentations. So there you go. So you had some steelhead. Do you have a, got a couple nice fish there? Oh yeah. My, I mean, my, my fish of a lifetime by far. Um, the last day we were there was kind of a buzzer beater fish, a 36 inch chrome hand that I, that I managed to catch that just, I mean, like I say, it's, it's precious to call something a life changing fish, but that was a life changing fish. Yep. Just this, because it was a steelhead and it was yeah. big and you know, is that pretty much it? Is like, as far as the life change? Well, that and just just the whole experience. I mean, it's as I wrote in the in that article for Fly Fisherman, it's so much more than than the fish. That was just the icing on the cake. But, you know, it's the it's the river, it's the, you know, the river otters and the mink that you can see in any given day. It's the, you know, the varied thrushes um singing in the in the canopy. It's, you know, the Tongass National Rainforest, like the big the biggest national forest in in North America and just mm. these huge huge mossy trees like just the environment is so incredible and and when i say life-changing i guess i it's all of that together but then it's also how it made me think about what i was going to write and then push out to the fly fishing world um like i i really thought back to you know those people that said i was going to blow up the blow up the fishery and and ruin it with my writing and i made the article way more about you know appreciating where you are like being actually striving more for a one fish day than a 10 fish day. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, that's exactly how my day was. That was the one and only fish I caught and cool. I was fine with that. Yeah. That's all you need. Yeah. That's the thing about fishing is that, yeah, sometimes you just need one, you know, exactly. And that's probably a lot of these fisheries or, you know, species that, you know, I mean, you get one of those and that, that'll keep you going for a long time. I mean, you could probably call it good right after that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And like the size of the fish, 36 inch steelhead. I mean, it's a nice steelhead, but you know, if it was a a 30 inch steelhead, I think it would have been equally life changing just because of the the experience surrounding it, you know? Right. Right. So that was like, yeah, you had like a mid teen, 16 pound fish or something like that. Yeah. It was, she was beautiful. We'll say that. Yeah. Right on. Nice. Well, let's take it out of here. We've got this uh, two-minute drill we've been doing here just to kind of uh, be a, get me on track and, and take us out of here. So let's uh, let's start this. Yeah. You got a uh, you ready to take it out of here? See yes. If you can let's do, do this will be a, this will be like a, this is my uh, chance to do the rapid fire round, which I I used to do, but I never I never would keep it very rapid. So we're gonna, okay. we're gonna start the <laughs> clock and go. Okay. So we mentioned, and some of these are gonna be tough, so we might have to circle back around with you, but outdoor writing ethics, you kind of hinted on a little bit. What would you say if you had a one word or two to talk, you know, talk about that? Um, probably with my, go straight with my writing philosophy, how to, or why to versus how to. Mm, good, good. What's the, um, up there, are there any conservation issues or groups or anybody you would, you would highlight uh, from the work you've done? Um, Trout Unlimited, definitely a mm-hmm. uh, good one to be involved with. And then backcountry hunters and anglers. Um, they do a lot of neat conservation stuff up here. Um, yeah, that's, you know, mm-hmm. we, we talked earlier in the show about, about Kings and, and that's obviously a pretty predominant issue up here is diminishing King runs. But, um, yeah. and, and then of course, steelhead, you know, down in, down in Southeast, some of the diminishing yeah. steelhead runs there. That's big uh, yeah, I feel like those things need to be addressed. And that's kind of why I proceeded with writing that SeaTuck article I mentioned is because mm-hmm. I feel like it needs to be highlighted. Like the problem needs to be highlighted and we need to adjust our expectations. So. Yeah. Good. Uh, if you're sitting around, you know, we're doing the fireside chat after that 2020 trip 
Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it's October and we're, and you're doing a summary looking back. Well, what's the story you're, you're going to kind of refresh and tell if you're on the microphone in front of you right now, you're like, okay, this is the one thing I really, I remember from that, that year. Oh, probably, uh, I did a, a 12 mile hike through, uh, mosquito infested swamp to get to, uh, the northernmost rainbow trout in, uh, oh, nice. in America or in North oh, America really? for that matter. Yeah. Northernmost. So that's, so you're up above Fairbanks. Actually, that was, uh, south of Fairbanks. So there are, there are no native rainbow trout north of the Alaska range. Mm. Um, so I've been told that have been documented, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the the population I was going for was in the the Golcana River, which is basically right. The headwaters are right south of the Alaska Range. Um, gotcha. And so I I hiked in because that's a very famous river for for rafting. Um, mm, in yeah. fact, anybody that's coming up here to to fly fish the road system, that's a super amazing um, and fairly remote feeling um, raft trip, and you can access you know. Uh, put in and take out points from the road system. So, um, but yeah, that's my story. I hiked in cause I didn't have a raft and, and that hike involved some pretty hellish conditions. Yeah. Gosh, sounds like, okay. And what about, you know, as far as the road system, we've talked about a little bit on it, any other resources or, you know, things you'd recommend for somebody if they're planning that trip, you know, this summer heading up there? Yeah. Good question. So and this is one I forgot to, to mention earlier, uh, grab a copy of gunner peterson's highway angler Hmm. um you can find it on amazon try and get the latest edition if you can i don't know how many there are now but that's like the bible to have um it goes over every road that there is in the state it tells you exactly which streams you can access what's in them you know like the general quality of the fishing and then like what tactics are used so that's it literally is a bible for for roadside fishing up here wow Perfect. Okay. That's, that's it. So that's a great link. Um, you mentioned a quote <clears throat> from a uh, gear rock earlier. Would you, do you have another quote you'd recommend you want to highlight here that we could put in the show notes or do you want to just remind us on that one you talked about earlier? Um, yeah, sure. I can, I mean the one, the other quote I have is about, is about writing. I mean, it could apply to f- fishing too, I guess, but, um, yeah, that one, the one from gear rocks, I don't know. I just think really, really poignant and, um, again, that one is, you could say the same thing about, uh, fishing that they say about baseball, that it takes a kid or that it takes an adult to play the game well, but it takes a kid to think it's important. Yeah. That's it. That's the one that is a good, yeah. that's, that's the quote that'll go out there. Okay. And what about, so you're, we're taking our trip up, um, <clears throat> you know, driving around Alaska and we're, we're putting in a tune. You're going to be putting in a tune in the, you know, grabbing Spotify, grabbing your favorite tune. What, what is that? What is that tune or what is the band or what is the group? What, what would you add there? We could put in the show notes. Oh, probably Rock of Ages by Def Leppard. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Def Leppard. Yeah. I tied a, I've tied various versions of a, of a swinging fly I called the Def Leppard. And it's, it's almost to the point where I'm, I'm totally happy with it. In fact, my first King Salmon on, on the swing came on this Def Leppard fly that I, that I tie. So that's uh, one of my favorite bands. And yeah, pretty, pretty special fly for me now. And actually I hooked my first spaking on this fly. I did not land that fish, but I at least oh, hooked perfect. my first spaking on the Def Leppard. Oh, you did good. Good. All right. Def Leppard is good. And, uh, Nice. Well, in, as we look out, it's kind of January looking out over the next kind of six months, year, what's it look like for you? I mean, what do you, what are you doing right now through the winter? What's keeping you busy? Are you just kind of writing all the time? Trying to write as much as I can, you know, get this, this next book published. And, um, if I can put in a little plug for that, the, uh, yeah. the, 
the SeaTech story that I they shared about those steelhead, um, there's going to be a fairly extensive chapter all about that trip in my in my next book. So um, if anyone's at all interested, be be looking for that. But um, yeah, and when will that book? Just estimating when would you say that book's going to be out? Oh, I mean, just just going by the sometimes glacial pace of of publishing, it might mm-hmm. be late twenty. 23 i doubt it probably more like 2024 okay yeah perfect we'll uh we'll circle back around and add a link at a later point in the show notes and right on joe we'll all um you know we'll put uh at joseph d jackson writer.com yes, we'll send everybody out if they have questions want to pick up your books and uh yeah just want to thank you for all your time today and shedding some light on the alaska highway system it's uh it's kind of daunting, I think, when you first think about Alaska, right? You, you're, but for me, you know, I mean, I just want to get back up there and do more and even thought about like, hey, what would it be like to live up there? So appreciate you shedding some light on that today and, and for all your time. Yeah, hopefully it, it was uh, some light that I shed and, and and not just more obscurity. But yeah, it's worth it. It uh, it requires some work to, you know, find your own honey holes. But that's part of the, the lure of fishing, right? Like asking questions and then attempting to answer them. So exactly. Right on. All right. We'll uh, keep in touch and talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks a lot, Dave. I appreciate it. So there you go. Coming back down, made our trip up north to Alaska. We headed past Fairbanks, drove on that highway. Uh, We uh, almost ran out of gas a couple of times. But uh, as Joseph said, there's ways to prepare for the trip. Uh, We had our two spare tires, so we were good to go. Glad you're on this journey today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And uh, if you want to get all the show notes, wetflyswing.com slash 412, 412, 412 will get you those links and some of the show notes. Quick listener shout out before we get out of here, Rick Kuhn. Rick reached out and said he has been loving the podcast and listening while he's tying flies behind the vice and on the road. And he mentioned that he'd love to have Josh from the Gates Asabo Lodge on the podcast. So we're going to do our best to get... uh, Josh on the podcast and uh, and want to thank Rick for checking in and for the support. If you want to get a shout out on this podcast and want us to put together a podcast, you can connect with me anytime uh, on social or send me an email, dave at wetflyswing.com. If you are listening right now and haven't connected with me, now's the time. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to uh, try to put together an episode or just say hi. Let me know where you're coming from. I always love to hear what part of the country Uh, potentially world you're coming from if you're outside the united states i would love to hear if you're in one of those one of those countries that we uh, we know we have listeners but we don't always hear from people so um so give a shout out dave at wetflyswing.com all right where are we going next let's take a look i actually don't even have to take too much of a look because we know we are heading into the euronymphing school so next week we have a big week We've got our head man, Pete Erickson, coming on to dig into Euronymphing. We're going to get in a bunch of tips and tricks next week, talk about this big event we have going, talk about some of the gear that we are giving away. Uh, we're also going to dig into some of the Henry's Fork. Uh, we're going to talk to the Henry's Fork Foundation, and uh, we're also going to chat with Maverick Founder, uh, the Maverick Founder who uh, has some really interesting stuff going in the Euronymphing game, specialized uh, reel and rods for this this amazing type of fishing that we're going to be going full in next week. It's Euro Week, Euro Nymphing Week next week. Stay tuned. That's the big one. I'm going to leave it there, and I am going to uh, and start to pack it up out here. It's a good evening. i got a bunch of other things to do. We're going to be 
uh, getting some more podcast content ready for this next week. So, um, so if you get a chance, check in on that Euro School. I would love to connect with you on that trip. It's going to be come up later in the year. And I'd love to connect with you online if we're not going to do the trip. So reach out, let me know. And I hope you are having a good evening, a good morning, or good afternoon, wherever in the world you are. And I hope to talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.